0: Welcome to this morning's podcast on international investing with Nedbank. My name is Paul Herman, editor at the AdSpace studio here at Media24. Today we have Hein Klee with us, the head of international investments at Nedbank Private Wealth. Hein, lovely to see you this morning. Morning, Paul. Thank you very much. So we're all interested to dive into some of the topics around investing abroad, and we hope we can absorb some of your expertise on the subject as much as we possibly can. So let's start with it's twenty twenty three and it's August. What are some of the trends happening right now in international industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting that you asked a question around specifically around trends, but I think it's it's not so much the trends that a lot of people think are new, it's old trends that are specifically coming back and we are specifically heading towards is up until about eighteen months ago. Globally, we were in an extremely low interest rate environment. Um, you'll laugh if I tell you that in Europe, you were actually paying the bank to hold cash on your behalf. Obviously, with inflation coming through, and I think that was accelerated quite uh, quite excessively by the Russia-Ukraine war, um, central banks started hiking interest rates, specifically to to fight off inflation. So we have seen a big trend of your traditional international investor parking money in cash um you currently in the u s and u s dollars can earn about five five point two five percent um interest in 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 u s dollars where not that long ago it was pretty much zero so that that's what I would call your your old school the the second big trend um, is a main drive around this hype around artificial intelligence chat Gpt um if you look at the index, the S&P 500, for example, very, very strong run year to date, but it's mainly centered around seven specific stocks, of which one of them is NVIDIA. And I think you all know NVIDIA is a big manufacturer of of chips, which are actually used in the whole process um, of artificial intelligence, chat, GPT, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the third thing, I think still from a South African perspective, is we are seeing a trend of people not just taking money internationally, but making the f- making the decision to financially immigrate. Uh, what does that mean? They basically are giving up their South African citizenship, moving to a foreign country, and taking up that specific citizen uh, citizenship. Um, and the fourth one, and I think this has been quite a bit of uh, you know hype around this. Um, I think a lot of people made money, but lost a lot of money, and that's around cryptocurrency. Um, You know, if you ask any specific youngster which cryptocurrency they are invested in, they'll tell you there's usually 10 that they invest in. So I would see those are mainly your four main trends that you are specifically seeing. But I think long term, we are still seeing um, a lot of our clients buying into traditional um, equity funds, uh, into specific equities, diversifying outside of South Africa, and, and more importantly, seeking that advice to make sure that they are actually in, in the right asset classes that they need to be.
0: So with that in mind, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions
1: about investing internationally? Um, there's, there's a thing in behavioral finance, behavioral finance called home bias. So the misperception, I think the biggest one is a lot of people thinking I'm giving up control. I'm moving out of an area of, of control and I don't really know it. You know, sitting in the US is far, I don't really have control over it. I think the second major thing is a lot of um, investors see as a hassle because for you to actually externalize money, there is a formal process in South Africa, which means number one, you need to be 18 years. You need to be a natural uh, citizen or, or um, permanent resident of South Africa. You need to be in good standing with the South African revenue services, you know, our tax man, we all love him. And then there's obviously exchange control. and And recently... There's been a few changes to the way in which you need to get a tax clearance, what we call. So that, that caused a little bit of a hype. But I think it's, it's an admin process. Thirdly, I think a lot of people think it's expensive. It's expensive to invest your money offshore. Um, the, the other major conception, and I've been in the industry about since 1994, so what does that make 29 years? Um, a lot of investors still have the misconception that they can time the rand. So currently this morning driving in, I think I was just over 19. A lot of our clients are saying, no, it's too expensive. I'm waiting for it to go back to 16 or 15. So trying to time that RAND movement, you know, is sometimes a misconception that I can actually get it right. Um, Another misconception is that it's only for the wealthy. You know, for a youngster in his 20s and 30s that wants to save monthly, a lot of people think I don't really have the money to do that actual international investment. So that's, that's another misconception. Um, I think the other thing is, is also that um, some clients do think um, holding a specific currency don't earn me enough interest, if I can call it that way. Um, so that's another con- misconception, but I think where we are with interest rates at this specific point in time, you know, we pretty much on par with it. The, the, Maybe not a misconception, but sometimes just a warning that we actually give to our clients that they do need to take into consideration is south african South African citizens are taxed on their uh, worldwide assets so the, the 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 international investment will can bring complexity when it comes to estate planning tax planning et cetera et cetera so i don't see it as a misconception it's just a warning that I do think you do need to seek proper financial advice, investment advice, tax advice, and also estate planning advice.
0: If someone is brand new to this idea of international investing, how would you define it for them? What is
1: it exactly? Um, I think if I, was a, if I was a layman and I drew a picture of the globe and I say, what is South Africa's contribution to the world's gross domestic product? Less than half a percent. The international investing to me means you're taking some of your savings monies and you are investing it in a country, an instrument, a vehicle that sits outside of South Africa. It's not to say that you necessarily have to actually take rands and buy pounds, euros, dollars, whatever that is. Your actual pension fund or your retirement annuity that you invest in under Regulation 28 allow you up to 45% internationally. So it can actually mean that you have international exposure, but it's not to mean that you actually have to physically convert that into a hard currency. So I would say there's international investing in the sense of I've got a home bias. So I hold a investment which is based in South Africa, but diversifies by investing offshore. But if I redeem the money, I have to bring it back into South African Rand. That's the first way of doing it. The second way is what we call hard currency. So I go through the process of actually externalizing, converting rand into a hard currency. I invest it offshore and more importantly, I can redeem and utilize that money offshore. So if I take, let's say, 50,000 rand offshore and I leave it in a bank account and I go on holiday, I can actually access that money on my card, for example. So I think those are your two main things. It's a, what we call local, international and international, international, if I can call it that way. So it really comes down to ultimately where you are spending it. The other important thing is, is that bank accounts also allow you the flexibility now just to buy the, the, the actual hard currency without having to go into an investment, for example. So your foreign currency accounts, which a lot of the, the, the banks in South Africa offer, it's a local account, savings account, if I can call it that way. And on a monthly basis, you can actually take your rands, buy dollars, and it actually stays in dollars. But if you redeem it, has to come back into South African round.
0: So when do you think is the right time or age in your career to start looking at investing internationally?
1: Well, I think by default, the moment you start working and you, you join a Provident Fund or a RA, that's, that's pretty much where you're starting. Um, I think the important part is that one needs to specifically look at what is the goal of the investment. Is it there to make a quick buck? Then... Mm-hmm. I would say international investing might not be the right thing because in many cases you think oh, I'm going to buy, let's take a stock, for example, NVIDIA, doing exceptionally well. I externalized my money at 19 and a year later, the, the underlying share in dollars might be flat or it might be up 10%, but the RAND has gained 15%, which means you've actually made a loss of 5%. So I think it's important to understand, first of all, why do you want to do it? Secondly, plan for that goal. So if it is for a holiday and you know you're going in 12 months' time, don't necessarily go into shares or bonds, rather use cash. If I want to diversify and it's something that I want to do 10, 15 years from now, I think look at the maximum growth, which is which in a certain way the biggest killer is inflation. So always have an inflation target of what you want to exceed over time. I think it's it's the goals that one specifically need to do. In In my view, there's no early days or late days, I mean, even for a person close to retirement, I, I strongly suggest international investing as, as a part of your portfolio. So I really think it comes down to what is the goal? What's the objective? And critically important, the affordability there. So if you can't service your debt in South Africa, water, electricity, food, whatever is slightly left, have that plan to say, I'm going to have a regular savings plan Of that, a portion should be local, a portion of that should be international.
0: So what would be the easiest way, in your view, to start diversifying
1: if international investments is something? So I think it also depends on where you are in your life. Um, There's a term called economic value. And what economic value means is what is the earnings potential that I have to earn economic value in my lifetime? I'm not talking about the lucky winners of the lotto or a big inheritance. I'm talking about the person that's got a salary that specifically um, will work up into a specific age and it's actually becoming a trend now where far less people are actually retiring. They continue to actually work because they see that as a retirement thing uh, specifically as well. So uh, I think the important part is, is, is get that right. Once you specifically have that in place, I would say, start off by potentially looking at a monthly contribution if you are not 100% sure what international investing is about but you do want to understand I, I think we are living in an age of information overload I mean something like investopedia you can actually go in there and type in what is international investing and it will give you thousands and thousands of pages so set, you know get the skill set first or understanding of what international means um something like a monthly debit order debit order, or annual contribution in a tax-free savings account. Now in South Africa, tax-free savings account allows, I think it's 36,000 Rand per year and a, a lifetime allowance of 500,000 Rand per, per your lifetime. You can go in without paying capital gains tax, dividends tax, interest tax. In that specific vehicle, you can go for a local unit trust, but that invests offshore. That that's the one medium. So you can either do that as a monthly contribution or as a lump sum investment. If you do want a hard currency, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, foreign currency accounts, you can do monthly savings into those. Um, I would say the 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 last thing to potentially then consider in the in, in the step that you want to look at, also depending on where you are in your life's, life cycle, or if there hasn't been a event that has specifically happened, what I mean by event, is we, we were talking about it a little bit before we started the podcast. There's a huge shift in mobility. So people are actually moving to the UK but still working in South Africa because it's all, um, etc. cetera, um, you know, from a um, mobility area where technology can actually get you to sit in the UK and work and still do the, the, the job, if you want to call it that way in South Africa, is to actually look then at your foreign externalization of money. And then that's almost what we call the persona of a South African investor that's staying here, but that wants that foreign exposure and that would be your hard currency. So monthly debit order into a unit trust and invest international foreign currency account. And then I would say externalize your money then through, through the channels.
0: So let's say you choose to, to go down one of these avenues. What impact does this potentially have on the rest of your portfolio?
1: Well, first step is understand what is your portfolio But also if you do that, is there an impact on your portfolio? What do I mean by this? If you've got a plan to buy a house in two years' time, you don't necessarily want to put an international investment in there because of the volatility and potentially the currency move. So first of all, look at what is the plan that you set out. If the plan is there to actually look at long-term gains and to outperform inflation, um, I think the regulation 28 is a very good guidance of... How much should be offshore if you're a South African investor and it's about 45 um, percent I looked at a recent survey that that looks at about 2,000 financial advisors in South Africa and they were the, the question one of the questions in the survey was specifically what's the ideal weight that you want your South African clients to have offshore and the the majority of those financial advisors were saying 50 percent so a 50 percent move into international can have quite a big impact on a short-term portfolio The longer-term portfolio, I really do think, number one, it diversifies risk, it diversifies currencies, it diversifies sectors, it actually then also shifts you away from the 0.5% of GDP that South Africa is doing to the 99.5% of world opportunities that are setting up there. But in saying that, that can also be a minefield. So you can imagine going into all of these countries, all of these specific shares So I think the impact that you should actually assess, don't try and do that by yourself. Seek the advice, seek financial advice, get various opinions before you just want to jump into it. You know, there's a a saying that if the taxi driver tells you to buy a specific share, it's usually the time not to do it. So if your friends are saying to international is the right place to do, yes, I agree with it, but seek that advice critically important, understand where that will have an impact on, on your goals and the specific aspirations and plans that you have in place.
0: What are some of the emerging markets
1: to look out for in terms of investments? Um, I attended an investment um, summit in June where the specific topic of emerging markets came in. Um, I think Asia, uh, specifically around countries like Taiwan, and, um, just a little bit of a warning, Taiwan is a big producer of semiconductors, um, so it can actually be quite a big hype. Um, I, I, I don't think you can talk about emerging markets without considering China. Um, my understanding is also the BRICS summit is starting tomorrow. So a lot of people view the BRICS as really your emerging market countries. There is a few concerns, not concerns, but a few pointers that we look at when we specifically look at emerging markets. We look at a country that, number one, has got a stable political environment, stable currency. Um, importantly, from a South African perspective, we, we try, where possible, being not correlated to the South African economy. Now, for your listeners out there, what does that mean? There's no point in us buying an emerging market country if it actually reacts in exactly the same way as, other, as the South African stock market, which means you're actually not diversifying. So that, that's a critical one. So there's, there's two things that I think around emerging markets. One of them is there's a lot of drive and infrastructure spending currently happening in India. Now, what is very interesting about the Indian economy is that the railway system, most of our, our, our listeners and people will know, the, the Indian um, citizen is very reliant on 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 the train system. But they designed it in such a way that in certain regions of India, the train that you are on and the train track are narrower or wider than in other areas of of the actual railway system. So the railway system could never possibly um, potentially be used to actually transfer goods. So it was actually as what we in South Africa have our taxi industry. That's what the railway system is. But there's been a huge amount of infrastructure spending currently happening in India to link all of those railways together to start doing exports. So India is definitely a market that that was identified at the summit as, as quite a big opportunity. The other, th- the, the other emerging continent, if I want to call it that way, is Africa. Now, there's a very, very big drive from African countries to say, developed markets are coming into Africa, taking our resources, taking it out, manufacturing a whole lot of goods and making money from it. Interesting stat, in the next, I think it's 20 to 30 years, one out of four people on this planet will live in Africa so twenty five percent of the world's population will actually live in Africa now my view is try and be in an emerging market that will be still developing still understanding itself I mean if you look at the countries like Kenya for example, um, I was there recently, and the the phenomenal growth that's actually happening in in, in that that specific country and region around financial services so I think Africa is something that one cannot ignore. It does have its problems. It does have its you know, geopolitical um, problems. It does have its liquidity problems. Um, and what I mean by the liquidity problems is that a lot of the stock exchanges are not that liquid, that if you invest, you can immediately withdraw. So, th- so that's another area um, that one needs to look at. A emerging market theme or play that a lot of investors sometimes tend to forget is I can get emerging market exposure, but I don't have to buy a share that's listed in an emerging market. So what do I mean by this? I can buy a share, for example, like Nestle, that's listed in Europe. I think it's about 60, 65% of Nestle's earnings comes from emerging markets. So I would rather buy a conservative safe play of a Nestle share that actually has itself diversified into emerging markets. Take a McDonald's, for example. I'd rather buy McDonald's and have a country head, franchise head, and a store owner of a McDonald's manage the supply chain of foods that are used to actually make their foods in China, in Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. So you can actually have emerging market exposure, but not necessarily in a emerging market. So you can buy a share. Another example, for example, is Microsoft, uh, um, Adobe. All of these shares are listed on major stock exchanges, but have quite a big component of the exposure in emerging markets. The other play that you potentially can look at, and this is, I don't think it's for the faint hearted, and I think you need financial advice when you want to look at this, commodities. Commodities is actually also a emerging market play without actually going uh, specifically into the emerging market itself.
0: We've spoken a lot about people sort of in sorting out their careers and when's the right time to invest. What investment advice would you give someone in their 20s perhaps and who's looking to start investing it?
1: Best advice I can give is start. Don't wait till you're 30, 40 or 50 and then realize "Mm, I should have done it. But in your 20s, it also depends on where you are and what you're planning towards. So number one, if you if your plan is to be mobile and go and live in a foreign country, um, yes, then one needs to actually get the foreign exposure as quickly as possible. In your 20s, it also depends on what your disposable income is spent on. Now, in many cases, we all dream and aspire to get married, buy a house, buy a car, have kids one day, put them through school, all of those kind of things. So one needs to have those specific plans. So if you're in your mid-20s and you say to yourself, I potentially will be married by the age of 30, gives me five years, Um, that plan then should be towards what am I going to do at the age of 30? Are we going to buy a house? Are we going to rent? Et cetera, et cetera. So I think break it up into specific brackets. If you as a person in your 20s do not need access to that money, first of all, you do have the disposable income after paying all of your commitments that you need to pay if you have disposable income i would say start off with a local unit trust that invests internationally secondly look at a foreign currency account that you can actually buy the actual dollars but it's here but that really comes down to disposable income try and avoid the hype of wanting to play the currency and trying to make a quick buck um there's a saying it's 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 very very hard to make your money, but it's very quick to lose your money. And in many cases, you know, the hype of social media. Um, you know, I spoke a little bit about uh, uh, cryptocurrency earlier. A lot of people made money, but a lot of people lost a lot of money. So I think have the plan, understand what is the the, the goals that I've got: short term, medium term, long term. I would say if you specifically are looking in medium and long-term, international investing does make sense. It's also not to say that you have to go into international investing and only buy shares. You can buy a diversified portfolio that holds cash, property, uh, equities, uh, fixed income alternatives, which are less riskier than buying a share in the long run. But I think if you're looking at medium-term, I would say 20 to 30% of your of your disposable income that you are saving should be going to international. If you're looking 10 years and longer, I think Financial Advisors give us given us the guidance that at least 50% of your money should be in invested internationally. And then I really do think look at, at shares. In the long run, they've been shown to outperform inflation um, comfortably. Just bear in mind, it does come with with some volatility, meaning it can go up and down. It's not a straight line, um, as as one would would hope for, um, more importantly, once you've started, get it reviewed regularly, because something can change. You might decide, well, I'm getting married at 28, so I need the cash quicker. So the sooner you actually have that realization and the and the change to that specific plan, um, the better the outcome. Then will be specifically for 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 a person in his twenties.
0: Great, thank you. And let's say you're in the life stage that's approaching retirement perhaps um what investment advice would you give someone who is at that life stage approaching retirement and either already has um international investments who is looking to um add to their portfolio as well with the last remaining bits look
1: I, i think we all live in an age now where people live longer um so your money needs to be stretched even further so i would i would apply more or less the same methodology for a person that's 20 to a person that's close to retirement. So if you are retiring, let's say in the next 12 months, obviously you need to understand what is the income requirements that I need. You need to make sure that you can actually um, afford that drawdown rate. So there's no point in having a pool of money and drawing 10% every year, because in effect, your investment needs to grow so much harder for you not to eat into your capital. So. I still strongly believe inter- international international investing should make a big component even of a of a person that's close to retirement or in retirement. Um, the the second point which a lot of people do not realize is that the further you go into retirement, your inflation rate actually changes from general inflation or CPI to medical inflation because you you know as we get older you know as they call. The kicks in. So you need to consider not just inflation, but medical inflation when it comes to, when it comes to your health care. The, the, the third thing that we've also spoken to a lot of our clients, are, is some of our clients say, I've got enough capital to live off. I, I might want to go on a holiday, but I want, want to start making provision for grandkids, for example that's a totally different scenario that you are looking at. So if you have a grandchild in his teens or in his twenties, and you want to leave a legacy towards that specific person, that's a totally different strategy that one needs to look at. But again, it comes down to individual circumstances. Um, Unfortunately, there's not a tick box exercise that one can go through and say, this applies to all retirees really comes down to that individual, their needs, their situation. And again, seek a financial advice um, from an accredited financial advisor that can assist you with it.
0: Great, that's a great segue. So, so NetBank Private Wealth has tons of experience and expertise. Um, as a bank, what can NetBank offer clients looking to invest?
1: I think we, we are very privileged in the sense of the specific product that we have is called a focus account. Now, when you hear the word bank, you think a lot of people netback private wealth only offers a bank account with some investments around it. Uniqueness about this specific platform is it actually caters for pretty much anything that a netback private wealth client wants in the sense of we have a foreign bank account that's, dom- that's, that's domiciled in the Isle of Man. We have three major currencies, which is dollar, pound and euro. But on top of that, we actually offer an additional 16 accounts. Or 16, um, currencies. Uh, why is that important? We have clients that are, for example, living in South Africa and Australia. So we can open a secondary account that actually is in Australian dollars that can be utilized in. It. So the bank account obviously is, is, is a transactional bank account. Then also comes with a card that can be utilized to draw money. Um, the second important point is the advice that we give to clients can go into investments. Um, The beauty of this is you can either take our advice and we manage the money on your behalf, or if you want to do it yourself by a self-help, you actually have a platform that if you want to go buy NVIDIA or you listen to me and you want to go and buy Nestle, you can actually go and execute that on your own. Um, We have quite a lot of clients, as I've mentioned to you, that are financially immigrating, that wants to buy property in the UK. So the, the third leg we specifically then offer to our clients is a lending facility where you can actually buy property um, in the UK to buy or to specifically um, um, live in uh, specifically from that need. The fourth element, and this is where we we bring in our fiduciary experts, it's around estate planning, tax planning, and the minefield when you start moving money offshore and you don't give up your South African citizenship, is you're taxed on worldwide assets, which means something like probate will kick in if it's not properly documented in a will or on or an international. So I think the important part the discussion we have with our clients is number one, if it is hard currency that you want to go into, the focus account is definitely our vehicle that we specifically use for our clients. Um, If it's not foreign currency, we obviously have access to our, our investment company called Net Group Investments where we specifically then can look at a range of of best-of-breed funds, which will also have the ability to actually invest both in rents or or in foreign currencies.
0: Thank you so much, Hein. That was very informative. And thank you for lending us your time this morning. Thank you very much. That was our podcast on international investing with Nedbank's Hein Klee, the head of international at Nedbank Private Wealth. If you have more questions about international investing, then you can visit nedbankprivatewealth.co.za for more. My name is Paul Herman. Thank you for tuning in.